Well, if you don't already know me, my name is Cale Freeman. I serve as uh, one of the uh, pastors here, and uh, it's my honor and privilege to get to open the Word of God with you guys today. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Um, Father God, Lord, you are so good to us, and Lord, we're thankful for your scriptures that you've given to us. Lord, they've been passed down through the ages now. And Lord, we're so thankful for them, and Lord, we're very excited to get to open your word and actually see what message you have for us today in them. So Lord, we pray, um, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that you would actually meet us and that we would actually have an experience with you this day and this week coming out of it. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, back in uh, 2008 at the Berkeley College of Music, John Mayer gave a, a student clinic there. And this is like 2008 John Mayer. So he's got like this like terrible black hoodie that he's got zipped up to here. Um, he's got like blue jeans and like an old guitar. And he's up here on the stage and he's imparting wisdom to these uh, music students and these aspiring musicians. And he, you know, he's got like a lot of hot takes as he always does. I don't know if you've ever seen any interviews with him. But um, one thing really stuck out about 10 minutes into this video, he starts giving advice on how to make it in the music industry to these music students. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, hey, you really have to define your win. Um, like, like, what does it even mean to make it in the music industry? And he starts asking him questions. He's like, hey, do you want to be like a pop star? Do you want to play in front of as many people as you possibly can, or do you want to just make music that you like? And he starts asking more questions. He's like, hey, um, do you want to write really long songs? Well, sorry, pop songs are only four minutes. And he says, hey, you like writing lyrics. Um, do you like writing lyrics about castles and knights in shining armor in the days of yore? Well, that's not going to sell either, right? You need to define your expectations. And he keeps going on with uh, these lists of questions, and it's actually pretty humorous. Uh, but what he gets to at the very end of it, he's like, hey, here's how you resolve this. You have to concede to the crowd as much as you possibly can while deciding what hills you want to die on and stay true to yourself. Now, um, it doesn't matter if you're a musician in here or not. This is a tension that we all feel, and it's the tension between the approval of self versus the approval of others. Now, all of us have a certain way of life and a certain thing that we approve of in the way that we want our lives to go in like the grand scale of things, where it's going and, you know, big parts of it. We also have a way that we approve of every single day going in our lives. We also know that feeling of sharing these kind of things with others and feeling them approve of those or like more often than not, the disapproval of others on our decisions. And then we're all kind of met with like, wow, what do we do with this feeling in our stomach that we get of other people not approving of us in the way that we approve of ourselves? So what we're going to be talking about today is approval. We're going to be talking about approval of self, the approval of others, and what do we do with this tension? You see, um, most of the time, whenever we feel this, people will say, well, that's easy. You just make a choice. Um, you either go 100% with the crowd, it doesn't really matter what you think anyway. Or they say, hey, uh, it doesn't matter what they think, it only matters what I think. Or people that might think themselves wise at the end of the day sound a lot like John Mayer and say, well, hey, just concede as much as you can to them and ultimately just decide on the hills that you really want to die on. But for those who are believers in Christ, are these really like the only options? The left ditch, the right ditch, or to fall into both of them, Right? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we resolve this tension? And I think the answer is going, to surprise, is going to surprise many of you. So if you're not already there, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. We're going to be going through 4, 7. A little bit of context here. 
Um, Paul begins this section by coming back to previous themes that he's already been talking about for the last couple of chapters. So if you're in here today and you heard the scripture reading and you felt like you were having deja vu, he's already said uh, quite a lot of this in a couple of different chapters previously. But what he's doing is he's intentionally restating it so that he can make a point, as we will see today. Now, um, even though our scripture reading starts at 318, um, I think the easiest way for us to see this is going to be actually if we start at 41. Chapter 4.1, and then we'll come back to that other stuff at the beginning. So don't worry, you're not going to get lost. I'll be here the whole time. I'll, I'll guide you up there. Um, but that's what we're going to do. You're welcome. Um, so here's what you're going to hear today. First of all, we're going to talk about the approval of others. And then we're going to talk about the approval of self. And then finally, we're going to look at this alternative that Paul gives us in the Holy Scriptures. So let's begin by uh, reading 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 1. We'll go through part of verse 3. Says this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. The first thing I want you all to see today is that the approval of others is a very little thing. The approval of others is a very little thing. In verse 1, Paul uh, begins to talk about how one should regard um, the apostles and other teachers of the church, uh, both back then and today. He says, hey, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, all throughout the New Testament, you hear people who are referring to themselves, like the apostles, the other writers of Scripture, as servants of God or servants of Christ, or we could also translate it as slaves. So like, um, in many ways, that there's nothing new here. But whenever he uses the word steward, he's doing something very specific. See, we have the word steward in English, obviously. But whenever he uses it in Greek, in the original context, to people in the first century, this meant something very specific, which would be the chief a household slave in a Greco-Roman house, okay? So this would be the steward who was in charge of and entrusted with the entire managing of the household, and he was accountable to the master of the household. So whenever Paul says this, everyone has in their mind right now, Greco-Roman house, this is just like the normal house of the day. But then he says specifically, though, that they're stewards of the mysteries of God. This isn't mysteries of things that are like, They're sitting around with like things that are mysterious and secret and they're not telling anyone. These are things that were once secret and now revealed. That's namely the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So people who followed uh, the Lord in the Old Testament, they followed him in faith and yet they didn't fully understand everything that you and I do here today on this side of the cross. Namely that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh who uh, came to us, who died on a rope and cross just to rise again, and whoever believes in him would have eternal life and have forgiveness of their sins. They didn't know those things, but now they do, and the apostles and the teachers of the church were stewards of this message. They were entrusted with it, and they were to speak it. But then in verse 3, he says, hey, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. What's he talking about? What's been going on for now a couple of chapters, as a lot of you guys will remember, is that the Corinthians have this habit, at least a a large portion of them, of of elevating one teacher above another and judging them who is the best. And then they would even say that they belong to them, saying, I am of Apollos, or I am of Paul, or I am of Cephas. You guys know those names pretty well at this point. 
So he's saying, hey, I don't care if I'm judged by you guys or by any human court. So he shifts from this picture of like Greco-Roman household and then all of a sudden he's in the courtroom. But he's not talking about like judged like the final verdict. Right now, at least, he's talking about the deliberation, the argument. So they're sitting around thinking like, well, who's better, Paul or Apollos? And he's like, hey, I really don't care where you put me in the standing, okay? He says, I'm a steward of the house and it's not... Who else is in the house that says what I'm doing is right or wrong? Well, at the uh, beginning of the 20th century, there was a man who had a lot of great ambition. His name was Samuel Langley. Uh, This guy had ambition to be the first person to fly an airplane, to pilot an airplane. Um, He was poised for success. He used to be a Harvard professor. He's a mathematician. Um, he had gotten a $50,000 grant from the War Department of the United States, which, like, you know, today, like, that's a lot. But back then, like, that was a ton of money. And uh, he had a team of people who were just as smart as him. And the, the press was already following him around in a day before the Internet. I mean, he was a big deal. And yet, most people in this room have never heard that name before, but we all know the Wright brothers. Because, of course, the Wright brothers were the ones to first actually get the plane into the air, pilot it, and put it back down. But here's what's crazy. You would think that with all of his resources, he would be able to turn around and say, wow, what a disappointment. I wasn't the first one, but I'm going to continue on. I'm going to now make things better. I'm going to make a better airplane now that I know that it's actually possible and learn from it. But what history tells us is that he actually just like gets completely out of aviation right after they take off for the first time. That's because what he really hungered for was recognition of being first, not the actual flight of the airplane. So let me just ask you, how do you hunger for recognition? And how do you hunger for praise? You see, whenever we do this, we're giving credence to the approval of others as if we need it. And we all do it to a different degree and a certain degree. But how do you specifically hunger for recognition? Whenever you get home at the end of the day and you're talking to your spouse and they ask, how how did your day go? Um, Man, does, does your conversation about work, like, is it just full of frustration? because you're not being seen for the success that you know that you are? If there's a fly on the wall that was listening and was like, hey, what is my assessment of that person? Would they say, wow, they're really hungry for praise. Now, for you, it might be something completely different, but we all have to ask ourselves and ask the Spirit to show us where are we hungering for recognition. I guarantee you, if you ask the Spirit of God, he will tell you. But now that you've heard that the approval of others is a very little thing, I now want you to hear that the approval of self is no better. The approval of self is no better. Um, Chapter 4, verse 3. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. So the approval of self is no better. Um, Paul says, hey, listen, um, it doesn't matter. It's a very small thing to me what you guys say. And also, uh, any human court, I don't really care what anyone says. And also, I'm a human too, and it doesn't even matter. I don't even judge myself. And this is like one of those like tiny little statements in the scriptures that if you're just reading through it, if you're like me, you'll be like, that's weird. I'm going to come back to that later. What, what does he mean there? You know, and then, you know, and every time you come back to it, you're like, I still don't know what that means. It's a very little statement, but he, he does something so uh, profound here. You see, because in our culture today and in culture any day. The notion of saying, hey, I don't care what other people think. I just care about what I think. That's a very easy place to get to. 
It's a very place to live in, and it's something that if we just stop there, we're really not any different from anyone else who doesn't follow Jesus Christ. See, there's actually, there's a Disney film that I once saw that um, really shows this concept that he's pushing against just so perfectly, but I want you to just like silently guess which one I'm talking about, okay? So, um, imagine the uh, protagonist, the main character, um, does not get the approval of others because they are very special. And very early on in the story, they decide that they're going to stake it out on, the, on their own despite everyone else not approving of them. And then the story goes through a whole lot of twists and turns until eventually they're the hero. And not only are they the hero of the story, but all of their critics are now their biggest fans because they are true to themselves. So if you are guessing Mulan, you're very right. By the way, if you're guessing Moana, you are also correct. <laughs> Frozen one, yes. <laughs> now, I could keep going. There are very few exceptions. And Disney's great. Obviously, I've seen these. But here's the deal. The reason why they can just repackage the same story is because we all just like it. They put some new songs on, some new characters, but it's just the same story of we all want to be the special ones, and we all want to be so special that even our critics are singing our praise. Now, specifically, though, he's saying, I don't judge myself, but he's not saying that he doesn't examine himself, okay? He's going to write another letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, um, and in chapter 13, 5, he's going to ask them to examine themselves to see if they're still in the faith. This is a completely different concept, Okay? So what he's saying there is, hey, examine yourself. See if you're still in the faith. See if you're following Jesus. See if your life actually shows that. See if you're actually being accountable to the one who counts. But whereas here he's saying, I don't care because I'm the steward what the other people in the house have to say about my work as a steward. I don't even care what I think about my work as a steward because the only one that really matters is the master of the house, the one who has given me this job. They're not trying to figure out if Paul is in the faith or out of the faith, if he is a heretic or not. They're literally just saying, all these people who are teachers, who's the best one and who can I put myself with? And it's all in pride. Verse 4, 6, he says, I have applied all these, all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So what he's saying is when he says puffed up, this is another way of just saying pride. Same word, just different way to translate. Both are great. He's saying, hey, um, you guys are elevating me and Apollos and Cephas and going back and forth, and you shouldn't do that. He tells them back in verse 21, hey, like, don't boast about men. He's saying, hey, don't judge here in a couple of verses. You shouldn't do that. Uh, but also, your pride is not going to be stuck in just one section of your life. I'm showing you that it's not important for you to do that to me, and also so that you won't do it to each other. Their pride was all throughout their lives, and they were doing this to one another just as much as they were doing it to the person who was on the stage. So where in your life are you acting as the highest authority? See, whenever we act as our highest authority, we show that the approval of ourself is the most important thing. Um, 
you know, there's a few of you guys who I'm sure are here who may not um, know what you believe about Jesus yet. And if that's you, like, I'm, I'm super glad that you're here, not picking on you by any means. But this may not be you. But for some people who do not uh, believe in Jesus, they say, I'm not really sure if Jesus is real. I'm not really sure if all this is true. But the reality is, is, for that person, it wouldn't even matter if Jesus beamed down from heaven right now and talked to them. If they put their hand in his side, they still wouldn't follow him because they don't want him to be the master of their house. And likewise, for all of us who are here today who call ourselves disciples of Christ, we all do this to a different degree. We're, no, we're, we're not perfected yet. We're not in the next life. So where are you specifically acting in your life as if you're the highest authority and not as God's servant? This text, specifically, we're talking about Paul as an apostle and as a teacher, but we're all servants of Christ. So where are you not acting like a servant of Christ? But now that you've seen that human approval is ultimately uh, nothing, I now want you to also see that the approval of God is everything. Approval of God is everything. Um, Chapter 4, verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, uh, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of of the heart, and then each one will receive his commendation from God. So he's saying, hey, listen, don't judge. He says, I don't care if you judge. I don't care if I judge. You still shouldn't do it. I'm trying to help you out as uh, a steward of the mystery of God, and also don't do it because there is one day coming whenever the true judge will show up, and that's the Lord. Um, uh, Lord here, translated from the Greek word kurios. Uh, I bring that up just to show you how grave a literary master Paul is, because kurios can be translated both Lord and master. So he's doing what's called a double entendre, okay? And what that means, stay with me, is that he's saying two things at the same time. That's really, really amazing, really profound. He's saying, hey, don't pronounce judgment for the time before the Lord comes, kurios. So, um, Curios is master, as in the master of the house, who's ultimately the judge. And then Curios is Lord, which we have often heard of God. So he's saying, hey, the household metaphor and the reality of everything is coming together right here. And it matters that he's actually going to come and he's actually going to judge. And here's what's great. This is a picture of what's called the already and the not yet. This is a picture of things that are true for those who believe in Jesus right now, already, and also that they will be true in an even greater way in a not yet, in the future kind of sense. So, specifically, here's what I'm talking about. He says, hey, there's going to be a day in the future where he comes to judge. But all those who believe in Jesus Christ, as we find from the rest of the scriptures, whenever we believe in him, we are forgiven our sin. We're forgiven our rebellion against him in that moment. And in a judicial sense, God looks at us and judges us, and he's able to see us not for any of our bad works and not for any of our good works, but because of the good works of Jesus Christ. And he sees us as righteous as Jesus. So even though the judgment is to come in this verse in the future, we already know if we we believe in Jesus Christ, we already know what the verdict is. And you can see this in the passage here at the first part of the passage in uh, verse 21 through 23. He just shows that, like, they're thinking too small, okay? 
He says, hey, listen, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You see, back in uh, Corinth, back in the Roman Empire, there's this thing called the, um, uh, the uh, client and patron relationship, and here's what that was. Um, poorer people would go to the homes of richer people and they would uh, give them salutations and greetings and all kinds of things. And then that richer person would give them food or gifts of some kind in exchange for their loyalty so that they would uh, tell the whole town about how great they were. And you could actually see how great a person was based off of how many people were outside of their house every single morning. So whenever these guys are like, hey, um, I'm of Apollos or I'm of Paul or, or whatever, they're saying like, hey, as much as that person ascends, I'm ascending with them and I will get good from this. And Paul's like, hey, you're thinking too small and you're thinking wrongly. You don't belong to them. They belong to you. Because the person who believes in Christ and follows Christ is made, as we hear in other scriptures, a co-heir and co-ruler with him of all things. So these stewards of the house are actually, um, they all belong to us. We are all to learn from them. But then he gets just crazy after that, and he gives all kinds of other things that no one could possibly say that they own, and all of which are absolutely terrifying. He says, the world or life or death, the present or future, no one can say that they own the world. Few of us uh, actually have the audacity to say, "I, I own my life completely, and there's nothing that happens outside of my will. None of us own death. None of us own the present or the future. And yet in Christ, we own all of this. He says, listen, you're thinking way too small. You're trying to boast in men one way or the other for the teachers and also for everyone in your church. And you're doing it in pride and you're forgetting that your inheritance is everything. But then there's also the not yet. So he says, hey, there's going to be a time whenever the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. He's saying, hey, listen, not according to my salvation in Christ or anything like that, but one day the judge is going to um, look at how I, have, um, how, how I have dealt with the things that he has entrusted me to do as an apostle. And he says that about all of us as Christians, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, he's saying this because he says, then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is not a question of, will I be saved or not? That's already taken care of when we believe in Jesus. But there is a sense in which we ought to give account for what he has entrusted us to do. So what do we do with this? The takeaway is we have to live out of and for the approval of God. We have to live out of and for the approval of God. And we're going to do this in two ways. First is by keeping your identity in Christ in view. It is going to be impossible for you or me or anyone to be able to um, stay away from the approval of others and even stay away from the approval of self and to actually be able to live out the approval of God if we don't even have in view what he even says about us. Very good thing to do here is to uh, read scriptures about that, but even memorizing scriptures about that. And like, I'm a pastor, so like, I know this is a stretch, but like, I'd probably say any scripture memorized is good. But also specifically uh, to memorize scripture around our identity in Christ. Here's one: 
Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not of things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just imagine waking up in the morning and already having that on the tip of your tongue and in the back of your mind. That you've already died and you're living a new life. Your old creation is gone, your new creation is here. That you are to uh, set your mind on things that are above the wisdom of God, not on things that are on the earth, like the elevation of one man over the other or the approval of others. Um, We could go on, and there's so many good scriptures for this. So if you already have many memorized, man, go back and look at those again. You will always find a wonderful fruit from that. But if you're a person who deals with, like most of us, the approval of self and the approval of others, I suggest that you go and memorize that one today. But then the other thing we have to do, we have to do this at the very same time. We can't do this one without the first one. can't do the first one without the second. Is that we have to do as Christ commands in his word without thinking too much about the opinion of others. Which, let me just say, is probably one of the hardest things I could ask you to do. Like, don't think about pink elephants, you know? Um, so, but we have, to, um, we have to do as Christ commands in his word without thinking too much about the opinions of others. And I can't give you right now a complete holistic teaching on exactly um, every facet of what that would mean, but I'll give you the, uh, one of the best, easiest things that you guys can do right now to start your journey, and that will feed that journey. That's specifically being part of a gospel community. Now, gospel community um, can be defined in many ways, but right here, I'm going to define it this way. Gospel community is a group of people who find their ultimate judgment and their ultimate accountability in the Lord Jesus. Right now, we are in gospel community, and gospel community exists in many ways, um, both in a church and also in small groups that we call community groups that meet all around our city. Some of you guys are in them, some of you guys are not. But let me just reframe those for just a moment. In gospel community, we're able to go and be with others who find their approval in Christ. Now, not perfectly, because we're none of us are there, but certainly we're all going that direction. And whenever times are hard and things are rough, you're able to describe those things and hear encouragement from them. Some of you guys are the first ones in your family tree to believe in Jesus for the first time, and you feel that from all of your family who do not like that. Some of you are here and you're like, man, I am getting so close to saying that I am one of you guys, that I'm a disciple of Jesus, and maybe you don't even know those terms yet, but you're thinking like, man, like, I think I'm starting to believe, and yet every friend that you have is going to uh, flip their lid if you were to tell them that you're even considering such a thing. What I'm not saying is stop hanging out with them and start hanging out with people who approve of you. That would defeat the whole purpose. Here's what I am saying. Whenever you're a part of a gospel community, whenever you're part of a small group of people, whenever you share these things, though not perfectly, what they are to do and what you're to do for others is that you're able to say, hey, it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't matter what you think. Let's look at the scriptures and see what does God think about this? And where does your approval come from? And how do you live this life? It is in community that we have to do this. We're simple beings who forget so easily. We know one thing one minute, and then the next we completely forget it. And we have to have a group of us as it was created to be in churches and gospel communities all around the world for us to actually be able to live this out in a true way. So today, 
You've heard that approval is a very little thing from others. You've also heard that the approval of self is no better, and that ultimately the approval of God is everything in our lives. In light of that, we have to find our approval in Christ, both in what was already done on the cross and what will ultimately we will be accountable to in the future. For all of you who decide to actually take up the Lord Jesus on this offer that he has in this text, you will find unspeakable joy that you've never had. You'll be able to get out of your head in a way that you never have before, and you're going to experience true freedom in a way that I can't describe. And this will be in little bitty steps and occasionally big ones, but this is what the Lord is calling us to in the scriptures today. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this is uh, a fun text. It's an interesting text. And um, as I already said, for, for me at least, it seems like one of the hardest things to do, to be able to not care about others, not care about yourself even, at least in our judgment of how we're doing things that you even trust us for, but to care about what you say about what we're doing. Um, Lord, this is difficult. Is something that we can't do without your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us, Lord, that you empower each of us as we go about this, this life together. So I pray these things in your name. Amen.